Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, talk Recorded live. We carry this all the way over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. So um, we will be going straight from 39, right into chapter 9, right into chapter 10, and we will continue the teaching that we have been teaching on the covenant, uh, on the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the heavenly testator himself, died. We know that from the previous teachings that we have uh, we have had. And so today I want to start that new covenant is made effective with better blood in speaking Jesus, the heavenly testator himself, died. I want to go to a last will and testament operative at the testator's death. When I was young in my military career, I spent a lot of time preparing wills. Uh, wills are necessary. They are important in order that those who are making the will, when they leave this earth, will be their estate, whatever, how much, whatever property they have, they will end up distributing that property within the confines of the will. And so when they leave, then whatever they, to whomever they leave, Whoever is listed in their will uh, to receive certain properties that they own, those individuals will receive that. But before, and so when you prepare a will, the testator is usually when we talk of testator, we talk about a male. Or when we talk, when we mention the word testatrix, we're talking about a female. And so testator, and if a person dies without a will, that's in testate, which means that you that the state Unless you're unless you're married and your spouse is still you're still married and your spouse is still living, then all the property will go to him or her. But if you die without a will and testate, then that leaves the responsibility of distributing or deciding who will get your estate uh, to the state itself. And you don't want to do that. But if you prepare if you prepare a will, then you need um, you have to have witnesses to that will. And recommend that you have an attorney prepare that will for you. I know that there are a lot of a lot of uh, programs online now where you can go and prepare a will. But the bottom line is a, a will, a last will and testament determines where your property, who your property will go to when you leave this earth. So after completing, after comparing the benefits of the blood of animal sacrifices under the old testament with that under the new covenant. And, it, and demonstrating that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, cleansed from actual sin, whereas the blood of animals could only cleanse from ceremonial defilement. Um, and so the author of Hebrews reached this conclusion that that was the reason Jesus became the mediator between the New Testament, um, rather, the mediator of the New Testament. The word mediator refers to one who intervenes between two, either to make or to restore peace and friendship, uh, and or to form a compact or to officially make a covenant valid. In verse 15, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Messiah, acts as the go-between or mediator, if you will, between the Holy God and sinful humanity. But Jesus Jesus' death on the cross, by his death on the cross, he removed the sin barrier which caused a divide separating God and man. So when the sinner accepts the, the merits of Jesus' sacrifice, the guilt and penalty of his sins no longer exists. And I say his, but his or her sins no longer exist. And the force of sin is his life 
until we have a relationship with Christ, we are at enmity with God. That means we're at war with God. We're enemies of God. And we don't want to be enemies with God. We want to be uh, in relationship with God. God is our creator. And when we receive Christ as our Savior and our Lord, not only does Christ become our Savior and our Lord, God becomes our God and he becomes our Father. We become his adopted children. So Jesus became the mediator, not only that he might pay the price for sinners who 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 live who who live I'm sorry, who lives since the cross, but also that he might do so for those who lived before Christ went to the cross. Sinners who were saved under the Old Testament, in other words, were actually saved. Not by it, but by any sacrifice offered under its jurisdiction, but rather through the atoning work of Jesus Christ under the New Testament. And for this reason, the Hebrews author says, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. And of course, we're talking about the Old Testament. And so those under the Old Testament who follow the word of God, who follow the law, men like Abraham, Isaac, men like Moses, and, and men like uh, Joseph, and, and men like David, and so forth and so on, those will go to be with God in heaven. They are saved. These are the kind of people we're talking about here. So, so, so by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first heaven, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And of course, when we think about that, the eternal inheritance, we have we have access to the kingdom of God and we have access to the to the reaches of king of the kingdom of God. But here we're talking about the end time of the consummation, if you will, the eschatological, if you will, consummation. That is the completion of all things at the end, when all is said and done, and everybody, everybody, and God has dealt with everyone according to their sins, and everything is done now, so we get to enjoy heaven. Uh, we get to enjoy everything that God has for us. So we have just a, a little bit, so in other words, we are just getting access to just a little bit of our inheritance. But when, but when the end comes, we will get to enjoy the fullness of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. So prior to ministering on the remaining verses of this ninth chapter, let me just take a time, you take time here to highlight a couple of critical observations, if you will. So bear with me. First is the use of the Greek word diatheke, which means covenant or testament. It is derived from is the proper pronunciation of the word, pronunciation of the word. So the root of dia meaning to, and tithemi meaning to place. So the word proper literally means to place between two. So the word diaseke means disposition of property by a will, a testament, a compact, a covenant, a disposition. So in verses 16 and 17, the author's use of the aseke refers to the disposition of eternal life to the recipient on the basis of his acceptance by faith of the atoning word of Jesus Christ on the cross. So in short, the aseke is like a last will and testament. And since the New Testament was made effective through the death of the testator, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and since the First Testament is a type of the New, both Testaments, therefore, take, them on, take on themselves the idea of a last will and testament. Second thing I wanted to point out is this, and, and that is the question about the testator. I had a question about this, and I'm sure somebody else has a question about it. And, and while I, I've done my due diligence, I feel that I still come up a little short, and I believe I can do some more research, and I can find even more than what I have discovered thus far. And, of course, these are my words now. In God, if, and I have the question, so 
is God the testator? And if so, did God die on the cross? I know many of us have that question. God is the testator, and I will tell you that, of both the Old and the New Covenant, of the Old and the New Testament. God did not, however, die on the cross. No, no, no. Then how can we say that God is the testator of the Old Covenant and that the New Testament became effective upon the death of Christ? Well, God is the author of, the, of all biblical covenants. Bottom line, he is also the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. So the Greek word, hypostasis, that's H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S, the Greek word, hypostasis, means individual or person, and the, and the phrase hypostatic union refers to the union of two distinct natures of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ, who is true God and true man. You may have heard me say, use the word theanthropic uh, uh, several weeks ago, and it talks about the it talks about the it talks about the dual nature of Christ, meaning Christ was fully God and he was fully man. He still is fully God and he still is fully man, except he is no longer with us, but that, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the Hoopsagian, here we're focusing simply on Jesus Christ as the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ was both God and man. So he was not created, as some may think, as some people declare, he was not created, but he, in the beginning, Scripture says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became a human being and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, let me go there real quick. John chapter 1. Just go there real quick with me. Just bear with me here. John chapter 1. And I want to find that verse there. John chapter 1. Because there's one thing I want to uh, mention here um, that is, that is, if I can find it here, John chapter 1, where it says that, uh, we, that Jesus Christ was in the bosom of the Father. Even if I can't find it, you know it's there. Please take some time to look at it. It's just it, the verse uh, escapes my mind right now, my memory right now. John chapter 1 does start out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became, and then of course the verse 14th verse the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we know that, uh, and we know that Jesus Christ was in the bosom of the Father. What, what that means is that Jesus Christ was not created, He's not a creator. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God, uh, and he is God incarnate uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God says something in that 26th verse of that chapter, first chapter, let us. He wasn't talking about the angels. Let us make man in our image in our life. He was not talking to the angels at that time. He was talking to God. He was talking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit uh, because the angels are made a created being, just like you and I are created beings. And so we had nothing to do with how we are to be, how we were to be created. We had no input whatsoever. And so we are the created, we are the creation of God. God created us in his image and in his likeness. And we talked about that last week, his intellect, moral and, and uh, you know, intelligence and morality and, and, and the other uh, uh, various qualities that God has imparted unto us. So, um, so how can we say that God is a testator of the Old Covenant and the New Testament uh, became effective upon the death of Christ? Well, God is the author that there of all biblical covenants. He is also the second person of the Trinity. And then we talked about the movement states meaning individual or person and now the static union where Jesus Christ becomes both remains God, but becomes true God, becomes humanity, truly human as well. So the Council of Chalcedon met near, for nearly a, a month discussing the controversies over the person of Christ in about AD 451. So prior to adjourning, the Council provided the Chalcedonian definition. Here's what it says. 
We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, that is, rational soul and body. Consubstantial, that is a big word there, but that word consubstantial simply means of the same essence or you share the same nature uh, with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the man with many. He shares the same, he was fully man, which means he shares the same essence and, and the same nature as a human being. And all, in all things, life unto us without sin. That is the one thing that Christ did not do. While he walked on this earth, he was without sin. He was perfect and sinless. He was begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And that begotten doesn't mean created, but that means that he is the second person of the Trinity. And in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, he was born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the man, to manhood. Um, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Father has been handed down to us. In short, Jesus Christ was both God, he was both God and man. He was both divine and human. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he can do that because he's God. And we can ask, well, how can he do it? Because he can do that because he's God. Now, though Jesus was truly God, he was also truly human. And as a human being, he lived a sinless life. It was this perfection that qualified him, I love this, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins while simultaneously putting an end to the Old Testament and ushering in the New Testament. With respect to his divine nature, he did not die. And I'm just talking about his divine nature, his, his God nature. He did not die, but was able to raise himself up from the dead. He said, tear this body, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. <clears throat> That's emphatic. He said, I will raise it up in three days. That's why he said he did not die, but was able to raise himself, his human, fully human self, up from the dead. A point of clarity concerning Jesus' death. It is true that when Jesus died, his physical body died, and his hope and human soul of spirit was separated from his body and passed into the presence of God the Father in heaven. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 and verse 46 tells us that's exactly. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He's talking about the thief on the cross, one of the thieves on the cross. In verse 46, he says, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. So having said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus Christ uh, died, and when he died, his physical body died, and his human soul, as I stated, was separated from his body and passed into the presence of, the, of God the Father in heaven. So in this way, he experienced a death that is like the one we as believers will experience if we die before our Lord returns. I love that. I love that. He, what Christ experienced, he's the first born from the dead. That's what it is. In other words, he's the first born from the dead, meaning that he is the only one that was raised from the dead and did not die a second time. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. Hey, I mean, it's dead. The widow named son uh, was raised from the dead by Jesus, but he died again, a physical, a second physical death. So 
Jesus Christ is the only one that died and died and rose again. And we know that because in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that Jesus uh, was with he was seen by more than 500 at one time. And then I believe it was in Acts chapter 1 we're told that Jesus was seen for more than 40 days and then he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. So we know that he is, so we know that he died and we know that he rose again. And because he rose again, we know that he is alive. And we know that because he is alive, he has eternal life to offer us as a free gift. You can't earn eternal life. That's why he came to die, because you could not earn it. You were not good enough. And then people were not good enough back 2,000 years ago, and there's no good today. You cannot earn eternal life. And Jesus says, well, by grace, how are you saved through faith and not of yourself? It is the gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. Every man who tries to accomplish great things uh, uh, under his own energy will swear by they will pay for praise himself and pat himself on the back. He would say, I picked myself up by my own bootstraps or bootstraps. So she would say, I had to struggle. I had to appraise all of these things. It was me that did this. Nobody else did this. But God, but God. He's the one that made it possible because he's the one that created you. And he's the one that gave you the ability. So anytime we say that we did something, that we take all the glory, all the responsibility, all the praise for it, then we are cutting God out. And what we're simply saying is that God has nothing to do with God has everything to do with our capabilities, our abilities. Every single thing, because he's the one that created us. Remember, we he's not made in our image. We are made in his image and in his likeness. He is the one that has imparted wisdom and knowledge and understanding to us. He is the one that has given us authority over the earth, over the creatures, and over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, the birds, you know, the fowl, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea, according to Psalms in the eighth chapter. Eight, eighth number of the song. So, Jesus Christ hmm, died for our sin. And if we die, and he was before the Lord, and so our soul passed, his soul passed before the Father, God the Father in heaven. So when we leave this earth, if we die before our Lord return, the same thing will happen for us. Therefore, anyone who declares that Jesus' divine nature died or could die, if die, means a cessation of activity, a cessation of consciousness, or a diminution of power in error. They are in error. So if anyone says that Jesus died, or that he, he, his, divine, his divine nature died, or that his divine nature could die, then he is in, then they are in error. Since God is eternal, he cannot die. One final point before moving on to our text, and that is the language, the Virgin Mary, the mother of God. In the time that Mary conceived Jesus, she was a virgin. However, to say that she was the mother of God concerns me deeply. It, 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 it is the word theotokos, and the word mother of God is theotokos, which means theos means God, and tokos means mother of God. You know, she's the mother of God. So if Mary was the mother of God, then that would mean that God is a created being. You follow me? And if, if he is a created being, my question then becomes, how can that which he created as God give birth to him as God? Cannot. So he is not created. So no matter what the mindset might have been, and I do hold high and high esteem with Mary. It seems a great error to make such a declaration. Yes, Christ is God, such, but such, but she conceived him as fully human, not as God. And so the term Christotokos, if you will, is more appropriate since she was the mother of Christ, the human, the human Christ. He was fully human. But she cannot be the mother of God because that would make God a created being, and God is not a created being. 
He is from everlasting to everlasting God. He says, before, and, and before Abraham was, I am. This is what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus is God. So don't miss that. Don't get that. Finally, in the 15th verse, the author uses the word inheritance. Inheritance involves the idea of someone making a disposition of his property. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. The heir receiving such property upon the death of the testator. Just as in a human relationship where a last will and testament is, of course, only after the testator dies, so in the case of God bequeathing salvation to the lost sinner, the bequest is only operative by his death. So the Hebrew author speaks of the Messiah as a mediator of the New Testament who made the testament effective through his death, and in that way, lost sinners who accept salvation on the terms of the last will and testament come into their inheritance. Listen, Jesus Christ, as I stated earlier, could die and, 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 and uh, inaugurate, if you will, the New Testament because he was sinless. He was the perfect sacrifice. So he is the, he is the mediator of the New Covenant. Here's the second thing. First, the testament made operative by the death of, Christ, of the animals. Let's look at the old, how things were done in the Old Testament. The first testament, the Old Testament, how was it, how was it ratified? How, was it, how did it become operative, operative, if you will? And then in verses 18 through 22, let me just read that real quick, verses 18 through 22. And it simply says, therefore, not even the first covenant was decided without blood, verse 19. But when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. And then verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 18, it says here, for the property distribution to occur as articulated in the last will and testament, death of the testator has to be proven. In the same way, it was necessary for the Old Testament to be kicked off with blood, that is, by a death, and that is the death of animals. And so the Old Testament, and let's look at verses 19 and 20, so the testator of the Old Testament was God because it was God who was the source of salvation for believers during the Old Testament time. But God was not yet ready to come into the person, come in the person, rather, of Jesus and die on the cross for humanity. There was a process. This speaks to a process, a systematic process that God had in place for when he would do everything. So if you go to Galatians, real quick, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, here's what I wanted to point out real quick here. Galatians, I believe Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And then we'll move on and try to finish this. Um, but he says here, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So it was, it was when God, everything, when we think about the fullness of time, it is when God has predetermined when these things will come to pass. That's why I say that God was not yet ready to come in the person of Jesus and die on the cross of humanity. Therefore, he provided a substitute within the Old Testament we're talking here, which would be type represent him, which would be a type that represent him in death, a death that would make the Old Testament effective, and that was the death of the animal, the blood of the animal, made the Old Testament effective. That's how it was ratified. It was ratified by the blood of the slain animals. So this substitute, as I say, was an animal. So the emphasis is on two verses, verses 19 and 20, is that everything connected with the Testament bears the mark of blood. And, of course, if we're talking about blood, we must be talking about death because we're talking Testament. For after every commandment was spoken, by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament. 
Now, verses 21 and 22. Now, these two verses, I say, are self-explanatory. Let me read them here real quick. It's 21 Then, likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the vessel, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. In other words, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, um, the earthly tabernacle and every utensil had to be cleansed with the blood of animals. However, not everything was made clean by blood. It's the word almost. So you have to pick up on these little nuances, these little shifts. For example, water was used for cleansing for certain pollution. And remember at the, um, in, in Exodus chapter 19, God said to Moses, tell the people, I want them to come up with come up and don't touch the mountain, to save certain distance from the mountain, but have them uh, purify themselves and sanctify themselves. It is washed their body. And you use water to wash your body. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, the better tabernacle purified with better blood. Verses 23 and 24, or 23 and 24 says this, Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, by the heavenly things themselves, but with uh, but the heavenly things themselves, rather, with better sacrifices than these. In verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into the heaven itself, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And now, when we talk about for us, that tells us, that pulls our mind right back to that he is our mediator. He is the, he is the go-between between you and I and God. And so that's important to remember. We pick up. Let me just start out with number one here. I'm going to go number one. When we look at these two verses here, number one, the earthly tabernacle was cleansed with animal blood. The copy of the things in heaven is in reference to the heaven to the earthly tabernacle. So this needed cleansing from its defilement because its presence in the midst of a sinful people. So even though the tabernacle was there and it was holy set apart for God, it was because the tabernacle was are surrounded by these sinful people that, that that it needed to be sanctified with blood as well. So the ceremonial cleansing was observed on the Day of Atonement. We talked about that earlier uh, in, in this lesson. In fact, I may have just mentioned it last week, but the Genesis 16, 16 gives us a clear example, a clear statement. He said, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So because, because the people were sinful, that made the tabernacle unclean uh, through as, as they progressed through the years. So use of the word these refers to the animal sacrifices. The sacrifices then, the verse 23 says, uh, have heavenly things themselves better sacrifices than these, meaning than the animal sacrifices. And so the sacrificial blood of animals was used to cleanse the tabernacle in Israel of the uncleanness it contracted by reason of its position among the people of Israel. So in a similar way, the heavenly tabernacle had to be cleansed, but with better blood than that of the animals, that is the blood of Jesus. Verse 24, for Christ has not entered into the holy holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to bear his presence. They still hear his presence of God for us. So the ministry of the superior heavenly sanctuary represents fulfillment. It represents fulfillment. In, In other words, everything that Jesus Christ, everything that God has been trying to get sinful man to do, all those centuries, Jesus Christ fulfilled during his lifetime, his 33.2, 33 and a half years or so, when he walked on this earth as a fully human being. So the new covenant Christian has reality. We are not depending on a high priest on earth who annually visits the most holy place in a temporary sanctuary. We depend on believers. We depend on Jesus Christ, the heavenly high priest, who has erected, who has entered once and for all into the eternal sanctuary. Now, remember we said it is not made by men with men, not of this creation. In other words, it is God's work in heaven. 
there he represents us before God. He is all and he always will. This is, this is good news. I don't know about you, but to know that I have a high priest, someone standing in the gap for me, someone representing my interest to the Father, that, that's huge. That's huge. And that's enough, and, and that's enough right there. For, I don't know about you, but that's enough for you to fall on your knees and thank God for what he, for his infinite wisdom and how he has prepared a way that can protect you from eternal damnation once you accept his son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior and your Lord. That's powerfully good news. We depend on Jesus Christ, the heavenly high priest, who has entered once for all into the eternal sanctuary, and there he represents us before God, and he always will, not sometimes, but always. It doesn't matter. If you stuck, you know how you stuck your toe and you, you let go of a, 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 a few words that you didn't mean to let go of. He says, Father, I've already died for that. So if you so if you're saved by Christ, by faith in Christ, then whatever sins you committed, Christ has already paid for them. All you have to do is go to him and confess them and, and apologize for sin. And he will cleanse you of First John chapter 1 verse 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful that he will forgive us when we make mistakes. So we, listen, just because we're saved doesn't mean we don't sin. But we are saved, and so our sins while we don't want to do it and we try to live a life where we are sinless, we do sin, but we have an advocate who represents us in heaven, and that's Christ the Lord. So beware of trusting anything for your spiritual life that is made with hands. 9, that's, that's, that's the 24th verse there. It will not last. The tabernacle was replaced by Solomon's temple, and that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And when the Jews returned to their land from captivity, they rebuilt their temple, and King Herod in the later years expanded and embellished it. But the Romans destroyed that temple in AD 7. You know how, I don't know if you know the history, I won't try to go into it right now, but briefly, in AD 66, the Jewish dollars rebelled against Rome. Rome sent in General Vespasian. General Vespasian called in his son Titus. And then when, when Nero died in 1869, I believe it was, um, had, he had aspirations to become emperor of Rome. And so he left Titus, his son, in charge, who was a general, in charge of fighting the devil. And Titus in 1870 crushed, crushed them. And not long after that, the wall was torn down. The, the, the temple was destroyed. And the only thing that's left is the West Wall. Listen, let me tell you something. Um, God is, we, and many people go and they do these vigils, they go to the Western Wall and they put paper in the wall, the prayers in the wall. But listen, if God was still in the temple, the temple never would have been destroyed. But when God, because of the sins of the people, the temple was destroyed. God was not there. You can't destroy something if God is in it. You simply can't. So God had to leave that temple. And once God, once the glory and the authority and power of God left that temple, that temple was nothing more than simply a building without an occupant. And that's how that building was destroyed. The temple was destroyed because God, God departed from it. Uh, and, and the temple in, in, in Rome was destroyed because God departed from it. And so the wall that's standing there, God has nothing to do with that. That, that temple, it doesn't mean anything. That wall doesn't mean anything any longer. We are now the temple. We are the temple of the living God. So it's not a building. It's not brick and mortar. We are living stone, living stone that God is using to build his church. So don't, don't get caught up in, in, in the wailing wall and all of the prayer shawls and all of that stuff that the Israelites used to do. None of that stuff, that, that won't make you any holier. That won't make you any closer to God. What gets you to God is Jesus Christ. That's it. 
There is no other way. You can't use man-made things to get to God. You can't use stuff in the earth to get to God. You have to go to God through Jesus Christ and Him alone. There are no other way. There is no other way. I know I may step on the toes and I don't mean to, but we put all of these, we can go through all of these things and do all of that stuff, and we have the answer and we have the way to God. And it's through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You don't need the aid of prayer, Sean. You don't need the aid of the walls and bricks and mortar and all of that stuff. You are a child of God through Christ. You can go to God just the way you are. Let me ask you a question. Let me move on. Just beware of pressing anything with your spiritual life that is made with hands. It will not last. The tabernacle was replaced by the Bible of the temple, and that temple was restored by the Babylonians in AD 685, I believe it was. And so when the Jews returned to their land after the captivity, they rebuilt their temple in order to eat and they just expanded it and embellished it, but the Romans destroyed it in AD Furthermore, since the genealogical records have been lost or destroyed, the Jews are not certain who can minister as priests. So, in other words, we had all these priests. We had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We had the, and, and, and they liked these positions, the high positions. They walk around in these flowing robes and all of that stuff. They were not descendants of Aaron. They, they, they were not. They, they were put in order by whatever. Whatever authority was involved, whatever influence involved at that time. So they don't even know whether they were Levites or not. So these things that are made with hands are perishable, but the things not made with hands are eternal. Remember that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end here, uh, and then we will pick up with verses uh, 25 through 28 on next Sunday, and we'll finish that, that first Sunday, we will finish that, and we will we will flow right into uh, next week also into chapter 10, uh, because chapter 9 chapter 10 go hand in hand, you know, we want to make sure that we keep the continuity and the flow. Now, there may be some that did not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of his sin. God is ready right now to forgive you of your sins. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus right now is softly calling you. So it's not about you, it's because of who he is, where he's been, what he's done. Uh, that matters. And so he has died on the cross for your sins and mine. He is calling you to have a relationship with you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, come to him today. Come, give your life to Christ today. Secondly, if you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of this of Jesus Christ ministry book, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home when I wait to my heavenly home. Then we welcome you. Thirdly, if you're a backslide, you want that relationship with God to somehow fill out a fellowship with him. God will be married to the backsliders, so return to me, O backsliders. Third, fourthly, if you're Seeking the fullness of his of his of his spirit and the evidence of speaking itself, the Bible says the day that you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart. There's no if ands or buts about it. I believe you will do it, and you will do it now. Finally, um, if you're in need of prayer, I believe that prayer, God answers prayers. I I know my whole heart. I believe that God answers prayers. He's answered many of my prayers, and, and, and I don't have time to talk about them, but I'm grateful that he has answered many of my prayers. So I believe that God is an answer of prayer. So if you need prayer, please contact us. Let us know that so we can pray with you. And then I know I said finally, but then here's the, here's the final thing I want to say. If you're away from your church home, become a part of Jesus Christ and go with Watch Care Program so that we can watch over your soul and pray for you and teach you the word of God. And when you have finished your assignment and get there, you can return home to the home church and have your senior pastor fulfill the vision that God has called him or her to. In any of these areas, we welcome you. We welcome you.
who welcome you. Let's pray. If you want to give your life to Christ, repeat after me, dear God, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I believe that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for my sin. Dear Jesus, I repent of my sin. Please come into my heart, be my Savior, and be my Lord. And I promise from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. And if you're backside and you want to return to God, repeat after me, dear God. I know I walked away from you, and I apologize. Please receive me back into your good graces. And I promise you, from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. Now, if you pray those prayers, and we would love to hear from you to let us know whether you gave your life to Christ or not. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and maybe even uh, send you some, uh, some information. Uh, we would call partners in growing and the gospel, in a small book, the gospel of child, which is the two books that we normally uh, pass out to the gospel people to help them with their spiritual uh, maturity uh, and their five areas of growth. Read the Bible, prayer, worship in a church, attending church services. Ask God to give you, send you to the church that He wants you to go to, where you will grow and get the best growth uh, teaching and, and uh, development uh, in your, your Christian development. And fourthly, fellowship with other Christians. So that's another area where you, a way that you grow as a Christian. And then, of course, the fifth thing is be a witness. Tell somebody what God has done for you to our Lord Jesus Christ on today. And all those, those five areas we certainly welcome in. Um, let's receive our executive pastor this time. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to be glad to rejoice in Thank you for joining us today. We can be found each Sunday at the Holiday Inn Express, 6860 Curtin Highway, the Plate of That's a call from the church station or church office. Once again, we can be found at Holiday Inn Express, 6860 Curtin Highway, the Plate of And that's 206461. And some people know Curtin Highway as 301301. We can also be
our auction line. We're also grateful to you for those who are here today, Lord God, uh, to hear our message, Lord God, your message, Lord God, concerning your holy and righteous Son, Jesus Christ. We are grateful and humble, Lord God, that you would use us. And we're grateful to you, Lord God, that you do use us. And we want to be used even more by you, Father, that we may reach literally millions of people, Lord God, around the globe, not just here in America. For those, Lord God, who join us today, I ask that you will be with them, that you will comfort and guide them, even as they deal with some of the challenges of family members and uh, uh, health issues that some of them are struggling with today, Lord God, and have been a chronic, Lord God. We ask that you will step in and that you will relieve the, the pain, Lord God, by healing them from the crown of their heads to the soles of their feet. I pray, Lord God, for the children that are returning to school, that have returned to school. We pray for a relationship between the, the teacher, the parent, and the student to ensure the student's success with this school term, Lord God. Please be with us. Protect them, Lord God. Protect the schools, Lord God, so that no one will go in and harm any of our children. We pray, Father, that no one will go in and harm any of our teachers. We're grateful to you so much, Lord God, for all that you do. Lord, that every person who has joined us and have every one of their needs met. We pray now in the name of Jesus. Protect them and bring them back safely next this time or next Sunday. In the mighty Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.